0: yeah all right well this is one of those nights where I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on on something and uh, we're gonna go we're going to start off in John chapter number 21 so since this is my last opportunity to say thank you I want to say thank you again for letting us stay over in the mission house and for uh, just blessing us with food and Brother Kenny and his wife have labored hard this week to feed us well, and we appreciate that. Got our oil changed. Thank you very much for that. That's a blessing. Sometimes when you're on the road all the time, it's hard to find that spot to stop. And and so that was uh, wonderful, too. And the fellowship's been good, good to get to know everybody. Uh, Just enjoyed our time with you very much, so we sure appreciate that. Well, basically what I want to do tonight is I want to just touch on a number of different passages and bring out a just one particular topic. And uh, then I'm going to move out of the way and let Brother Hines do what the Lord's given him. But let's go ahead and uh, tonight let's pray before we read. And uh, we're going to jump around just a little bit tonight. Father, I sure do appreciate... The blessing of being able to open up the Bible. uh, Just the blessing of opening it up with confidence that we know it's your word. And God, I pray that you would bless tonight, uh, maybe in an unusual way, and uh, that you uh, you would do in the hearts of your people tonight what you have been doing in my heart this afternoon. And God, I am certain that this is not a new topic, and I'm certain that it's, certainly been through the heart and mind of many people here tonight before and I think maybe once again it's just putting us in remembrance of a few things. But at any rate, I pray that you'd work out the very best outcome for your glory. And God, I pray for the church tonight as they even even now, I'm sure, some still seeking you about their missions giving. And I pray that as the preaching takes place now that your spirit would calm their spirit. In the middle of a busy week, the world has been chipping away at them. They've had to battle their flesh this week. The devil's been knocking around. And they just, they just need your spirit to give them that calm, peace, assurance, direction, and, and that settlement of what you'd have for them to do. And I pray, God, that, again, the outcome tonight would just be honoring to you. And we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at a few passages tonight, I think, that are very common. When we look here in John chapter number 21, I'm not going to go into depth on this. I don't have time because each passage has its own sermon to it. But in John chapter number 21, I'd like to pick up in verse number 15. Um, you know, I all of my, well, I say all of my life, in my Bible school years, I was taught something about this passage that wasn't true, Uh, and they always wanted to turn to Greek and tell us what the Greek said, and until I learned the difference um, about just trusting your Bible and that, you know, I I felt like I just didn't know. I, I always walked away thinking, well, how can I really know? I actually asked one of my Bible school teachers, I said, how am I really supposed to know what the Bible says, if I always have to turn to a foreign language to find it out. And uh, that was, it was an honest question. What I found is when, when I finally realized that I had the preserved Word of God in my hand, that, that what they were teaching me was exactly the opposite of what the passage was teaching. It was exactly the opposite. And uh, so I want to work through something. I'm not going to give you the topic yet. I want to just read through this. Verse number 15. So when they had dined, let's stop there for a moment. You know, this is an interesting book because at the end of chapter number 20, that you would think that that would be the conclusion of what John was going to write. And that's the way the book's written. Last couple of verses of John chapter number 20, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. That seems like a conclusion. And then chapter 21 comes in. Now remember, if the whole book is written so that you and I will believe, then so is chapter 21. All the way up through chapter number 20, it's to bring somebody to believing in in Christ and being saved. Chapter 21 is that we won't stop believing. He's dealing here now with converted people, and it's as though it's this little amendment on the end of everything that he's been teaching us. And he says, now listen, just because you're saved, that's not the end. You know, this common buzzword today is the end of the journey. That's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. And these disciples are going to be taught, you've got you to continue to believe. You've got to continue to trust. You've got to continue to look to the Lord. And knowing that, when we get into chapter number 21 here, I actually have a different opinion about Peter and them going uh, back fishing. And I know there's lessons there, and I'm not denying the lessons, but I actually think the reason they went back to fishing is because the man who's been feeding them and taking care of them is gone. And they've got families to feed and and mouths to feed. And and I think it was a very practical reason why he went back fishing again. I don't think he was walking out on the Lord. But what we do learn is when they get out there, uh, they're fruitless without the Lord by their side. And that was the whole point, is that you can't have fruit in your life without the Lord looking over. And then when they figured out at the beginning of the day that 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 mysterious one on the shore that asked them if they had had any meat, that mysterious one is the Lord that's always looking over our life. And even when he's not in the boat with us, he's still watching over us. And when, when they realize that it's the Lord and he allows them to bring in that great multitude of fishes, we learn, of course, that fruitfulness comes from the Lord alone. And then he allows Peter to go and drag these fish in and he calls them his fish. Even though it was the Lord, he calls them his fish. Go take of the fish that you've, that you've taken. have taken. Isn't that amazing how God does that for us? Isn't that a blessing? How the eyes of grace look at our life and say, now, even though I did this for you, I'm going to give you credit for it. And so he gets the fish, and here we go. Now, uh, the Lord teaches them a lesson, even in feeding him. In feeding them, notice what he does next. Now, don't miss that. He just fed them. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas... Lovest thou me more than these? It's an interesting study, and this is how the whole mess is going to go. Right, we're going to come in and out of the passage. Son of Simon, son of Jonas. Every time the Lord spoke to him that way, it was like when a a parent is talking to their children. You know, like I say, Peyton, Ronald. Because I got something important to say, I want their attention. Every time the Lord speaks to Simon using Simon, son of Jonas, or Simon bar Jonah, he's always saying something very significant in the life of Peter. So I'm sure Peter's ears perked up. Lovest thou me more than these? And he's probably a little bit like you and I, because if I asked everybody tonight, you love the Lord, I think there would be a resounding, yes, amen, praise the Lord, love the Lord. And I'm not, that's fine. But a lot of times the response that we're giving isn't a very thoughtful response. I mean, we haven't given some time to think about it, meditate on it, and to give a heartfelt answer. Lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my, feed my lambs. Interesting. The Lord just took them, sat them down, gave them a meal. Now he starts to teach the lesson, and he says, Now I want you to feed. He's a fisher of men who also needs to be a shepherd of sheep. And that's really what Missions in a foreign field, missions here locally, that's what it's really about. It's not just about getting people to make a profession of faith and then turning them loose and forgetting all about them. We, we draw them in with the net and then we shepherd them, we disciple them, teach them. He says, Feed my lambs. Those are the little ones, the young ones that need protecting, they need instruction, they need everything done for them and then he says to him a second time husbands can you imagine this if you walked into your house and your wife said do you love me and you said sure I do babe I love you and then as soon as you got done answering she said looked you in the eye and said do you love me how many of us wouldn't be going all right what did I do or what did I forget or what didn't I do you know Verse 16, he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now, by the way, we get there to lovest thou me more than these, and I'm not going to go into what all that is about there. There's a lot of different options, but uh, he drops that in the second one. Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now, lambs are little ones, and sheep are full-grown ones. And as my understanding as we move through the passage to verse 17 when he says sheep the second time, it's a reference to a flock. We don't say a flock of sheeps, we say a flock of sheep. And I think that that's the building there from lambs, little ones, sheep, individuals to sheep, entire flock. So, husbands, you, you pull yourself up and you say, yes, yeah, you know I do, I, I really do, I love you. And then she looks at you the third time and says, do you love me? And you're thinking you're in big trouble. Not not for failure, not for omission or commission, but I'm in trouble because I don't think she believes me. And the one that I love is questioning the sincerity of my love. Verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And you can imagine why this next phrase then. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? As I said in Bible school, I was taught, well, he changed the word there and that's why he was grieved. had nothing to do with it. The problem here is is that Peter is saying, why doesn't the Lord believe me? He was grieved because he said to him, The third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, I love this answer, by the way. Lord, thou knowest all things. Uh, You can look right down into my heart, Lord, and you know. You know. And I don't know how to be more honest with you. He says, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Again, I think that that's a reference then to the entire flock. So when the Lord's dealing with him here, he's dealing with him about um, his love, his love for the Lord, and that the result of the love for the Lord in this portion of this passage is that some someone would be fed as a result. They're the Lord's lambs, they're the Lord's sheep, and he said, I want them to be fed or cared for, and that will be the manifestation of your love. Now watch, he's not done. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, in verse 18, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. Uh, But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee, whither thou wouldest not. So now, just notice, this is a flow on. Everything is just continuing on. It's not a big break of time here. You know, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? The emotion of it is all carrying on. And then he tells him that uh, all of the liberty he has now and all of the freedom and all of the strength that he has right now is going to be taken from him. In verse 19, This spake he, signifying uh, by what death he should glorify God. And that's really what this is about. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. All right, so the Lord now has worked through uh, this idea, if you love me, then this is how you're going to do you're going to feed. And, and then carrying that on, he, he says, "But beyond just loving me and feeding, here's what I want you to know is that if you follow after me, if you love me and you do this, then all of this is going to be taken away. Your physical strength will be taken away. Your your, your personal liberty will be taken away from you. And uh, you're going to end up dying a death that's just not nice, Peter. So in light of that, Peter, follow me. You know, why not? Why can't it be, look, if you love me and you feed, uh, there's going to be glamour, there's going to be exaltation, there's going to be accolades, everybody's going to love you. I mean, Paul said it. You know, he said, we're the offscouring of the earth. You know, it, it, but isn't that the way man thinks about it? If we follow after the Lord, if we love Him, if we do these things, boy, isn't it going to be just a wonderful life? And Jesus just said to him, it's not going to be wonderful, follow me. And he, I think Peter does exactly what you and I would do, because he's walking alongside the Lord here, After this meal, and this is going on, and when he looks behind him, verse number 20, then Peter turning about seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall and what shall this man do? You're putting this on me to you know, my love, you're testing my love and telling me to feed, and I'll agree to that, and you're telling me to follow you even though I'm going to lose my personal liberty and I'm going to lose all this. You're, this is what you're telling me to do, Lord, but what about this guy? And I, again, I am not critical of Peter in any sense because I look at that and I think i probably respond the same way. That's, it doesn't seem fair. There's not an equality there. You know, if, if I'm going to have to suffer, then they should have to suffer with me. If we're going to serve the Lord the same, then everybody should have to go about it the same way. And Jesus, this is a, I love this, this is the last words of Jesus in the book of John. Jesus saith unto him, If I will thee tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow, notice the next word, thou, me. The last words of Christ in the book of John. Follow thou, me. If it means feeding lambs, feed them. If it means feeding sheep, feed them. If it means following after me and losing your liberty and your health and everything that comes with it, if that's what it means, then follow me, come after me. You follow me. You do what I ask of you. and Don't worry about what I'm asking of someone else. Now, Now the subject title for the message. This is about our consecration to Christ. He wants us to be consecrated to Him, fully dedicated, fully set apart, that He's our all in all, and that it doesn't matter what He asks of us. And when He probes deep into our hearts, we're not, as we say in Australia, we're not going to spit the dummy and walk off. The dummy in Australia is the pacifier, all right? And so we're not going to spit the dummy. and, and walk off and we're not going to turn around looking for everybody to do it the way we do it and, and have to be, you know, treated exactly the way we're treated, that it just boils down to this, follow thou me. It's our consecration to Christ. He's purchased us, he saved us, gave his, his life for us, and rose again, praise the Lord, And then he gives us the privilege of coming side by side with him in ministry of whatever variety it might be, of serving alongside of the Son of God. That's unbelievable to me. And he invites us to be a part of what he's doing on earth. And he's just simply trying to get Peter to see, I want you consecrated to me, no matter what it is. When we look at a mission conference like this, it's, that, that, that's what it's about. It's hard. I don't like as a missionary to then preach about money, but I, I, I want to at least, if I can just throw it out there for you to chew on. Tonight isn't about the amount that you give. And it's not a, whether you're giving more than someone else. I think we have that pretty well understood. It's about your consecration. It is absolutely about, Lord, whatever you say to me, then that's what it is. If you lead me to an amount, then it's because you plan on bringing that amount to me to give. And I trust you. And I'll consecrate myself to that. If tonight it's not just about an amount, but it's about putting myself in the offering plate and giving myself to the ministry, of pastoring or missions or whatever, then God, that's I want to consecrate myself to that. Follow thou me. I want you to go to John chapter number 12. When I think about this, I I really do see it everywhere. And, And I don't want to miss the fact that That Jesus, or excuse me, John, the Holy Spirit through John was telling us there in John chapter 21 that he was telling him what what sort of death he would die to bring glory to God. And that really, uh, my understanding, is why we do everything that we do so God will be glorified. But here in John chapter 12, notice this woman who understood this, this consecration. Verse number one, then Jesus, six days before Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. It's about two weeks at the most has passed between the raising of Lazarus and now. And so six days before the Passover, he comes into Bethany. And then two days before the Passover, Matthew and Mark both tell us that Jesus said, two days and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And so then we pick up in verse number two. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, as she does. We already know that's her character. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. What a sight that is, the, the man who had been dead and stinks, <laughs> right? Isn't that what they said? Well, it's too late to raise him now. He stinks, and he did it anyway. And man, what a picture of our salvation. I mean, we're dead in the grave. We stink, man. There's no hope for us. <laughs> and he says, don't worry about it. I got it in hand. And he raises us up. And what does he do with us? He takes us and puts us at the table with him. That's crazy. The dead man sitting at the table with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not stinking anymore. And uh, I don't mean to be critical though, but Lazarus here is so busy enjoying his resurrection, or if you like, his new life, that he's not even serving the Lord. He's just sitting at the table. Boy, we've got to be careful about that. I'm on my way to heaven and that's the end of it. No, it's not. We're saved to work for Him. Do something for Him. But let's read on. That's again another message. But verse number 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I want you, if you would, keep your finger there. Look over here at Mark chapter 14. I believe this is a parallel passage. Now I know... Uh, there are some brethren who say that these are not the same. I believe they are the same and they complement each other in the detail. And uh, so there's just too much that parallels I believe to call them two different passages. And so here in Mark chapter number 14, I want you to notice a few things that took place here because it says in Mark 14, we're going to flick back and forth between these two, but he says in verse number, in verse number 4. Uh, There were some that had indignation, and you know, I've messed up. I wanted to to look at something else. I'll just tell you, you reference this yourself, and and we won't turn there, but you write down Matthew chapter number 26 and verse number 12. Matthew 26, 12, because it appears here that uh, when she came in, as we read, she, she broke the alabaster box, and she poured it over his head, but John says she poured it on his feet, of course, they say, well, there's a discrepancy. The head's not the feet, can't be the same. But Matthew 26:12, the Lord says, she's anointed my body for the burying. And it appears to me that she broke the box, anointed his head starting at the top, the crown, because he, he needs to be anointed that way, his crown, he's worthy. And she moved his way, her way down the body with that anointing oil and stops at his feet, and then she pours that out at his feet and casts the alabaster box aside, and gets down at his feet and starts wiping his feet with her hair, which God told us in 1 Corinthians 11 is given to her for her glory. And so now you've got this picture of this woman who's poured out this costly ointment, anointing the body of the Lord, but down at his feet she's cast her glory, the crown of glory, at his feet. And there she is, she's wiping his feet. And and so they have indignation and... um, And notice here in verse number 6, Mark 14, verse number 6 is what I wanted. Jesus said as they get indignation, they start griping. They're all carrying on. But then Judas becomes the spokesman. You know, why why was this waste of the ointment made? Verse 6, Jesus said, let her alone. Just leave her alone. Imagine bickering over the fact that she poured out her costly ointment on Christ. Who thinks this way? Who is it that's upset over something being given to Christ? A lot of people. Evidently. And he says, why trouble ye her? And so, he says in verse 6, she has wrought a good work on me. She wrought a good work. And then goes on and he says in verse number 7, For ye have the poor with ye always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but Me have not always. And he said that because he just said, in two days I'm going to be delivered up to be crucified. The disciples weren't doing anything for him. Lazarus wasn't doing anything for him. I mean, good grief, if somebody should have been busy about doing something for the Lord, maybe Lazarus would be grateful for the fact that he'd been raised up to sit at the table with Christ again. But he's not doing anything. Martha, she's just busy serving but she's not doing anything of value for the lord mary the one who sits at his feet and hears his word is the one who says wait a minute i've got this alabaster box full of ointment that i've kept for a purpose and i didn't understand the purpose but i understand it now and i've got an opportunity to do something for the lord before he's taken away and crucified i'm going to give the whole thing to him i'm just going to pour it right out see she's listening she's She's hearing what the Lord has to say, and when she hears that, it gives her an opportunity, and I don't miss this again, to consecrate something to Him, because she's hearing Him speak, and she knows, I'm not always going to have this opportunity. I want to take the opportunity now. I was having a conversation with one of my friends in Australia. Uh, We hope to be able to work together at some point, and uh, we were just talking about, I know I'm not an old man, but I know this that 20 years flew by, and if I live to be 70, I've got 20 years left. And I'm thinking, oh, good grief. I don't really feel like I got a whole lot achieved in the first 20 years. And 20 years doesn't feel like very long to get something done. And I'm looking at that, and and I'm thinking, I don't want to waste any time. And that's the way she's thinking here. I I don't have time to waste. I can consecrate this to the Lord. And so, verse number 8, notice what he says, she had done what she could. While you guys, he says to these disciples, while you guys are busy bickering and griping over the amount that the ointment could have been sold for, uh, she's been busy blessing me. She did what she could. And verse number 9 of that same passage says that wherever the gospel's preached, what she has done is to be preached too. You know why? Because the Lord remembers what we do. And He rewards that. He cares about what we do. And he, he's, he's mindful of it, Hebrews 6 and verse 10. He's not, he doesn't quickly forget about the things that we do. And I know it's by the grace of God that we get to do what we do. But He's mindful that we have a choice to make. And he's not, as I said on Sunday morning, he's not a Calvinist. He's not making us do things against our will. And so he gives you an opportunity. He says, look, here's an opportunity for you to to be a blessing to me, to pour out something for uh, for me and to consecrate yourself to me. And so you look back at John 12, and I want you to see what happens when she consecrates her, her ointment, her costly ointment to the Lord. In verse number 3, what happened at the end of that verse? The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And I like to think about the fact that because of the, the, the nature of these ointments, you know, it wasn't like perfume today or, or cologne today where it wears off by the end of the day. This stuff, it stayed with you. That was the purpose of its use. It stayed with you. And it, it had a strong fragrance for long periods of time, and I like to think about the fact that uh, the Lord smelled like this beautiful spike nerd all the way up to the cross when they stripped him. Mary got to do that. No one else. You know why? Because she consecrated something to him. But you know what else is neat in that passage of John 3, or John 12, verse 3? Everybody in the house got a part of it, because the odor filled the house. Everybody near the one who consecrated things to Christ was blessed by it. The Bible tells in the book of Proverbs that ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. Man, can you imagine? I bet the Lord had a big smile on his face. He was just filled with joy. And then they robbed that joy away by whinging and complaining about her pouring out a costly matter on the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder he got upset. Leave her alone. She did something for me. What are you doing? He's just trying to revel and enjoy what she's done. It's consecrated. I want to look maybe at one more and then I'm going to give the time away over to Brother... Heinz, I don't want to steal that. I want I want you to look at Ruth with me. Ruth. We might not work all the way through this just for the sake of time, but Ruth is an incredible woman. Incredible woman. I mean, if anybody... In, uh, in the Bible, we look at and say, she doesn't stand a chance. You know, Rahab and Ruth and them. But Ruth, she comes from a, a cursed nation that are called the people of Chemosh. That means her identity was to, to be one who worshipped the false god of Chemosh, offering children up in the fire and the, all the wicked stuff that took place. And God, He hated it, man. He said it's an abomination. And He said... You know, they're not to be allowed to come into the congregation and and they were, they were enemies. Uh, but Ruth, I mean, here she is. She comes out of this. She's born into it. And you know what we learn about? We learn through Ruth. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you'll consecrate yourself to God by His grace, He will make something very, very special out of you. And so... I want you to see just a few steps in her consecration. Now, this is a whole message and we can't do that, but I want you to see some things because as they're getting ready to return to Israel and Naomi's trying to talk them out of going, uh, first both Orpah and Ruth say we're going to go and then she talks Orpah out of it and off she goes. But notice verse number 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. Entreat me not. That's The way we would say that is, Would you stop talking to me about this and stop trying to talk me out of this? Just leave it alone. That's what she's saying when she says, entreat me not. Um, For whither thou goest, I will go. She's going to surrender her liberty to wherever Naomi wants her to go. Whither thou goest, I will go. Where, Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. I'm going to leave my people, and she says, thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God. Wow. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if I ought but death part thee and me. And watch verse 18, when she, that's Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking unto her. Man, Ruth just said, you're going to have to stop arguing with me about this. I'm coming with you, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give up all my liberty. I'm going to give up my identity. I'm even going to give up my gods, and I'm going to adopt the God of Israel, and I'm going to live like an Israelite, and I'm going to do this without any guarantee at all that I'll even be accepted in the nation, but I'm coming with you, following you. And Naomi says, man, her mind's made up. She's steadfastly minded. And then we find after that that in verse number uh, one of chapter two, that Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth uh, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitus, and she's called Ruth the Moabitus through the whole book until she gets married to Boaz. That's isn't that fantastic? They stopped calling her the Moabitus when she got married, you know, because you know you're not. Some people will they'll call you to be a certain thing. They'll remember your past through your whole life, but there's going to come a day we're going to be standing with the Lord Jesus Christ and they're not going to call us by that past name anymore. We're not going to be identified about what we were here on this earth. We're just going to be part of that bride of Christ. Man, we're just, we're just in. We're His bride. Isn't that fantastic? So Ruth the Moabitess in verse 2 said unto Naomi, let me, let me go to the field. Let me go to the field. Maybe tonight, in some, especially some of you young people, maybe in your heart tonight, God would say, He'd just prick you with that just a little bit, and, and you'd just step up and say, "God, let me go to the field. Just let me go." Because God takes volunteers. And glean ears of corn after him in whose side I shall find grace. She knows she's going out. She has to find grace because she's not allowed to be there. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. You know, the second thing here in her, in her consecration, in the consecration brew is not only that she made up her mind and nothing's going to change it, but that she, she went out and she rendered her reasonable service. It's reasonable for her to go work. Naomi's old. And that's the attitude that we need to have when it comes to our dedication to Christ, is I'm just going to render my reasonable service to you. I want my, my body to be used for your sake. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And I know the context there, by the way, about the the, the fornication and all that. But the principle is is intact. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are God's. They belong to Him. Consecration. God, here's my body. Here's my life. Here's my precious ointment. Here's whatever whatever you ask of me. Here it is. It's consecrated to you. It's all dedicated. It's yours. You render your service. And that's what she did. And then, very, very quickly in, in chapter 2, we find, and I'm going to leave this for you to read yourself, but in chapter 2, verses 10 through 17, we find that, That after she's been recognized for her dedication, as you read verses 1 through 7, she's been recognized as being such a dedicated individual, that when Boaz speaks to her, instead of being all puffed up and proud about it, she humbles herself and says, oh man, why are you you treating me this way? I don't even deserve, I I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be here and I don't deserve for you to give me these handfuls of purpose. I don't deserve any of it. But would you give me some favor too? (laughs) She just humbles herself and says, this is wonderful, I'm going to revel in it, and I would love if you'd give me a little bit of favor in all of that. And and again, she sees herself as a stranger. In fact, just very quickly, chapter 2 and verse number 10, I really am wrapping it up here. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thy eyes? Well, she went out looking for grace and found it, and then when she found it, she thought, Why did I get it? that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger. Boaz, though, the type of the Lord, looking at us. This is so good. Man, sometimes, you know, when we get before the Lord, we say, God, why are you doing this for me? I do not deserve to be used by you. I don't deserve to be a part of your work. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve the grace and the goodness you're pouring out on me. And if we're not careful, we'll let that take us down so that we view ourselves the wrong way. And the Lord comes back like Boaz, and he says, look, I'm going to look at you with, with eyes of grace and truth. And in verse 11, he said, Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law. You know what he's saying? He goes, look, I appreciate what you're saying, Ruth, but let me just put this in the proper context. Here's what I see. I see everything that you did for your mother-in-law. Since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast watched, left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Ruth, I understand you don't feel worthy here, but I want you to know when I look at you, I'm pleased to give you more because I see that your consecration is right. You love God, you love God's people, and even God's people don't love God. So she gets more. And then she goes on and submits herself to the direction of Naomi to go to the threshing floor and get to the feet of Boaz. And then she has to exercise some patience as, as he says, now look, I, I, I'll do this, but I'm not first in the queue. So you're going to have to wait until I work some things out. And she just waits. But you know what I see in her? I see consecration. Now, let me finish this. I see this throughout the Bible. I think about David after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And he should have been a dead man. But he repented. Got himself clean, as Brother Mumper was talking about yesterday. And then he dedicated himself, he consecrated himself to God. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please let me keep serving you. The Old Testament sacrifices we learn in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, they could not take away sin. You know, the sacrifices were never, it's he said for them to take away sin. They were never meant to take away sin. They were meant to be the revelation of the heart of one who is dedicated to God. Do you believe me? You want to follow me? Then do these things. You do that. You don't want to do that? Then don't expect me to believe that you're dedicated to me. That's what they were for. In the New Testament, we say, you know, know, be in church. Talk to people about Christ. Get involved in missions. Don't tell me that you love me if you're not going to be involved in that. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself and just do it. Again, tonight is not about the amount that you mark down on the card. We want it to grow, and we believe that through further consecration of our lives, it will grow. But what we really want tonight is the consecrated life of a believer. That's what Christ is looking for. It's a sweet odor that will fill the whole room. The number is not what's going to be the rejoicing tonight. What will be the rejoicing tonight is the consecration of the hearts of you. Father, thank you for some time to look into your word tonight. We ask for your blessing as you work out your perfect image of Christ in us. and We ask you to do what you see best in Jesus' name. Amen.